And somebody said, Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. I'll be brief this evening. So let me give you this story tonight about Peter and his, uh, just a broad overview of a little bit of Peter's life and his transformation. Acts chapter 2, prior to the ascension of Christ, Jesus tells the disciples to uh, wait till they receive the full power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the whole world. And then they'll receive the promise of this baptism, this endowing and doing with power. And so they wait 10 days in an upper room, uh, and they experience the tangible presence of God. It, wasn't, it was not just that, but there was tongues of fire and a roaring wind, and they spoke in other languages and, or other tongues uh, as the Spirit enabled them. And so this uh, provides a huge witnessing opportunity uh, to the masses that had gathered there on the Feast of Pentecost, one of the big three feasts of Israel, thousands would come into Jerusalem on that day. And the upper room where it was situated in the city of David was just another hill uh, in Jerusalem, not, not too far. Some people think they might have been even in the temple courts. But either way, thousands of people ended up figuring out there's this commotion going on. And so having... All of that going on, Peter stands up and begins to preach the gospel, the first Christian message after uh, Christ, uh, to these thousands of people in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children, all who are far off, as many uh, as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received His word were baptized, and on that day are at, were added about 3,000 souls." What led to this moment in Peter's life? We're talking about missions and being a mission-minded church uh, right now at Sanctuary. But there is a transformation process in Peter's life that moved him from being a fisherman in Galilee to a spirit-filled apostolic man of God who saw many mighty things. And I'm going to give you three words tonight, very simple. Follow, filled, and faithful. Follow, filled, and faithful. Uh, Let's talk about follow for a second. Uh, The disciples followed Christ during a three-year ministry journey. All right? Fishers of... They were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. And they left all, radically left all, to forsake their families and their jobs, their careers, and follow Christ. And that's pretty radical. We can't think about that even in our own self today. If um, an evangelist came here tonight and said, Hey, let's... Follow me to the next town. Leave. Forget about Monday morning's jobs and all your stuff going on. Leave with me. Let's go. We're going to go to Winsboro and then the next town. We're going to the next town. The next town. Y'all just come on. We just keep this thing going. We would be like, you're crazy. That I mean, that's think about. That's pretty radical. I mean, but this is what these young these young adults, twenty somethings. You know those kids. But they were twenty somethings. They they went with it. They left it all. They said, sorry, honey, we're following that guy. That's pretty radical. So they're following Christ. It was a journey of faith. But even here, they lack something. Along the way of this three-year journey, this following, even though it was radical, 
they repeatedly dealt with doubt. They repeatedly dealt with uh, disbelief. They repeatedly dealt with uh, personal prejudice, racial prejudice, ethnic prejudice. They, they repeatedly dealt with religious ideas about God that uh, shadowed what Christ was doing and speaking. So even though they had this awesome radical following, they didn't have it all together. They were still lacking something. They were lacking a revelation of God's Spirit in their life, they, a, a true revelation of who Jesus was and what it really meant to know Him. Even so, on this radical following, Peter denies three times Christ at his trial. His faith hadn't matured. He had no true revelation of the Spirit. So what happens? He turns back to, know, to what he knows best. Peter, having denied Christ, goes back to Galilee and begins to fish in depression, basically. He denied Christ three times. Christ is dead. We don't know what's going on. I thought this guy was saying he was going to raise from the dead. He didn't. Um, they didn't have revelation yet. They didn't understand all the words that he spoke. How many times do you forget the sermon that we hear on a Sunday morning by the time you go home and have dinner cooked? I mean, they just didn't have a revelation. It didn't grab hold of them. And so Peter goes back to know what he does. But how many times do Christians and us Something happens, we give, uh, uh, man, that was a good sermon, or hey, that was great, Pastor, or hey, we go to the altar call, we had a great baptism, Holy Spirit, revival, whatever. But then, you know, normal life just kicks back in. It really does. It just Monday's there. Uh, months go by. We, we uh, talk about our kids in youth camp and kids camp. They go there, they get on fire for God for a few weeks, then what happens? School starts, semester starts. Same thing with us adults. Man, that was awesome. But, you know, how many sermons do we remember from... You know, the last series that we did at Sanctuary or whatever. I mean, not every sermon is going to meet and you know, impact us in that powerful way. But there are things that sometimes just lose that. Peter lost it. Even though all the great words of hearing Christ for three years, and it was gone. So this radical follower was lacking something. You know, sometimes just leaving all to follow Christ alone is not enough. Because it's only the first step in discipleship. Uh, I wish sometimes I could just get people to do the first step. <laughs> just to get radical and leave something to follow Christ. But even that's not enough. The first step if you were a disciple would be to follow a master teacher. Peter did it. It still wasn't enough. Today, I think, seems to be the normal Christian life is to follow Christ. But like these young disciples, our life is still so often all about us. Uh, I was thinking the other day, and I was just thinking, you know, I was really just worn out mentally, spiritually. I'll confess all that because I'm a, I'm a normal person, okay? I'm sitting alone. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. And I was just worn out, just tired, mentally, spiritually tired. Not physically, just mentally, spiritually tired. And I thought about, you know, sometimes you get to points in your life and going to church is just not enough. It really isn't. You get to points in your life where you're just tired, Work drains you. Life doesn't satisfy. We've got no energy. I don't know if anybody ever got to this point before. Okay, I'm good. Preaching to the choir. Church just becomes another religious thing to do that week. And you just assume be on the couch sitting up with your feet up and eating some onion rings or funions or something. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. Are we Okay, thank you. Get some few honest people here. Sometimes it makes more sense to stay home on a Sunday night or a prayer meeting. Wednesday night, just that's just where your mind gets. But you're following Christ, you love Him. But there, there's more, okay? We have to go from a moment 
like the disciples who before the resurrection, even though they love God enough to follow Him, they still made the Christian life all about them. And it led them to a point of broken surrender. Jesus says that we have to die to self, take up our cross, deny ourselves, follow Him, Matthew 16, 24. And later, Peter would do that both spiritually and even physically. <clears throat> so follow. We move from follow. The way we move from following is to get to a place of broken surrender. We, we radically follow. That's the first step. Follow master teacher. But it's the, the thing that in that key, that's key in that step is getting to a place of denying ourself, even that part of you that's tired, weak, and unwilling. And that moment when I find myself in that place where I'm, I, I, I love Christ with everything I've got, I follow Him. But I get to a place where I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm just tired, drained, whatever. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Even the tired part. Even the weak part. Even the unwilling part. Follow Christ with that, all right? Okay, so follow. Peter moves from following, denies Christ, whatever. Christ shows up. This is the filled part. Resurrected Christ shows up to Peter in John 21. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Three times he would ask him, do you love me? And each time he would deepen the, the Greek word to end up at what we call the agape word for love. He said, Simon, do you love me like a friend? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Simon, do you love me You know, like a brother, a, a family member, a father figure? Yes, Lord. But Simon, do you love me like you love God? with an eternal, unconditional love. And it says that it pierced Peter to the heart. He began weeping and crying. And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you like that. I love you like I love God. I love you with a deep, unending love. And he was recon uh, reconciling Peter. And it broke him. That's that broken surrender part. It broke him in that moment. And it, it, it corresponded to his denial. It was undoing all of his denial. And many of us know this. But what's important here is not just that, but each time Jesus uh, asked him, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, I know you know I love you. What did he say? Then what? Feed my sheep or feed my lambs or shepherd my lambs, shepherd my sheep. He says, feed my, if you love me, then build my church. How many Christians say they love God, but don't love building his church? Why? Because there was a point where this was just the beginning. So he's a follower who's radically give it all, but still the following alone was not enough. There had to be more. So he gets to a place where Jesus says, if you really, really love me, I am giving you the keys of the kingdom. I want you to build my church. I'm all about my church. I died for my church. And now I'm going to fill you to do something for me. I want you to wait with other disciples into the upper room. And I want you to go there. And Jesus begins to give them something. It's called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, uh, we know in, from John that He breathes the Holy Spirit on them, gives them revelation. The Holy Spirit comes into their heart. And then He says, now listen, I want you to go therefore and baptize people, make disciples of them, teaching everything I've taught you to the ends of the earth. And so, but before that, go to the upper room 
and be filled with power from on high. The promise of the Father is coming. The Holy Spirit's coming. I'm telling you in John chapter 14, remember I told you on the Mount of Olives, He's going to teach you all things. He's going to tell you all things, bring things to remembrance. He's going to tell you what to speak when I tell you to speak. He's going to give you power that you've never known of. The same anointing I have from the Jordan River is going to come on you like it did to Moses' 70 elders. It's going to come on you in a prophetic, powerful way to do something that I've called you to do. So Peter, if you love me, Build my church. Feed my sheep. Shepherd my church. The second step of discipleship is to be taught by a master teacher. The first step is to follow a master teacher. The second step is to be taught by it. Peter in that moment learned kind of his last lesson with Christ. He learned what it really was to love God. To be loved by God. To receive true forgiveness have an awareness of the Holy Spirit. The revelation of the Holy Spirit came in him and he said, yes, God, I will do the Great Commission because I love you. For me, growing up in church, sometimes the Great Commission and witnessing and evangelizing became work and it became something of guilt. It became something because I'm not an outgoing, outward extrovert person. I'm not one to talk a lot to strangers. My parents raised me well, you know. Uh, don't talk to strangers. Uh, I was shy. But when you get a revelation of who Jesus is, that He died on the cross for you, He has nail scars for you, that He, that he loves you even to death, and that when you deny Him, and even over and over again you fail Him, and He says, but do you love me still? You say, yeah, I still do. He says, do you love me still? Do you love me still? And you say, yes, God, I still, even, yeah, I denied you again, but yes, God, I still love you. He says, now what? Do the Great Commission. Today, the Great Commission is a response on our part to the love of God. If I love God, I will tell somebody about Him. That's really that simple. And Peter gets to the place where the Holy Spirit comes down. They get filled with the Holy Spirit And in that moment, it becomes not just the indwelling of the Spirit, but the baptism of the Spirit, the spiritual fruit, the gifts of the Spirit is now at their disposal to complete God's mission of redemption. It wasn't just about the power that was demonstrated, but it was about the presence that was permeated. I'm going to say that again because that's some good stuff right there. It wasn't just the power that was demonstrated, but it was the presence that was permeated. The next part for you and I, not only is it we have radical followers, but filled followers, that we say, God, it's not about just signs and wonders and all this stuff, but it's about having the tangible presence of God permeate me to the depths that I can get a revelation that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that, and that I'll just, the Holy Spirit will come and empower me and that a response will be the faithful witnessing. You see, You and I, if we try to motivate ourselves and move ourselves and work ourselves up to give, work ourselves up to talk to somebody, yes, we should be obedient and do those things, step on faith. But I'm telling you right now, it does not last unless it's a response to the love and grace of God. You and I, that we could... I I think so much right now in our churches and the status of especially this area, the reason we don't see revival and a radical awakening to uh, missions and witnessing and evangelizing is because we don't understand by the Spirit who God says we are and what He's done for us. Amen? Anybody here tonight? 
that we could just say, my gosh, you died on the cross. It doesn't wow people anymore in our neighborhood. It doesn't amaze people anymore when we sing Amazing Grace and how great thou art and I exalt thee. It doesn't move anybody. It's old news. It's not good news anymore. And that's because we're not filled up with the Holy Spirit. It was the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus said, you've got to understand who I am, what I've done, what I'm doing in you, and, 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 and just get a revelation of the power from heaven. And you just say, wow. You know, for me, the baptism of the Holy Spirit really wasn't about the speaking in tongues. It was about a tangible encounter with the Most High God. God is real. He is alive. He's still powerful. I felt His love in that moment, His peace in that moment, His joy in that moment. And that was the feeling that motivated me to change my life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important today. And it's not about the power demonstrated. It's about the presence that gets permeated into my heart. And that's what we need today. So we go from followers to filled followers. More than anything, it's to follow Christ and be filled with a greater love for God. And the last one is this, faithful. So he went from follower to filled follower, and then he moves from faithful filled follower. He becomes faithful because being filled wasn't the end game. And for so many years in, in, in Pentecost, and evangelical churches, it was all about getting to an altar and getting tongues and sitting back down on a pew. But for Peter, it was a natural response to become a missionary. When, I got, when he got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was natural. It just came that I would be a missionary for God. And for many Christians today, we miss the part where he says, you'll receive my power to be witnesses. Not to do more church, not to give more, not to do more work or religious, but to be something. You'll be naturally. That means you'll become a witness when you allow the fullness of the Holy Spirit just to take you over. You don't got to try anymore. It just happens. God will put you in the right circumstance. God will put you in the right position. It'll just come out of you because that's who the Holy Spirit is in you to be, is a witness to Christ. And so why are so many Christians filled today but not missional. Why are so many people filled? I mean, I've spoken tongues when I was a kid, or maybe I did this. You know, on your phone, I don't want to go too long. The phone, on your phone, you know, I went to, I got to go to Houston. We, my family went on vacation to, to Houston this last, this year, and we went to the NASA Space Center. You, you may know this already, but they said that on your smartphone today, uh, there's more computer technology and gigabytes and megabytes of RAM or memory uh, that in all of the Houston NASA Space Center put together at the time of the lunar landing when they put a man on the moon. There was only, I, don't, I can't remember off the top of my head, it was like four gigabytes of memory, Brent, and the entire system of NASA. I have 32 on my phone. And so what they're saying is that this phone could put someone on the moon. But I know that's not true, Right? My phone is why. It's not purpose to do that. You see, NASA back in the day in the 60s, because of the pressure of Russia to get to the moon first, they had a purpose, a movement, a momentum, a, a calling to get there first. So even though they didn't have power, they had purpose. And they did it on little to no technology. I mean, some wires and some telephones and some rocket fuel, and they did it. 
Today, my phone has more power than all of NASA did in the 1960s, but it has no purpose to put a man on the moon. Today, so many Christians may have a little bit of power, but no purpose to do anything with it. Sometimes it's that combination to realize that you and I have received all of the power heaven has to offer. It has now come in the fullness through Jesus Christ in you, the Holy Spirit indwelling. But if we would just have a little bit of purpose to organize ourselves to say, we have the power in the name of Jesus. That's an old good song. We've got the power in the name of Jesus. We can do this. I mean, the church literally has all the power it needs that if this year every Christian on earth decided to shake the heavens down, it would happen. But we're stuck motivating. Come on, let's just get through another week. Come on, let's just get through another week. Come on, let's just try to get over your own issues. But if we would just say, God, heaven help us to be faithful, filled followers. That when the Holy Spirit comes into my life, I can't help but tell somebody about Jesus. I can't help but forget about my problems and get a little bit of happiness in my life because I've got heaven on my side. I mean, come on. One of the things we just, come on, we just get to a place in our life where we just say, God, I'm tired of the junk of this world and living like these other nominal Christians. Come on, can I say that? And living like I'm just like the rest of the world, trying to get by, trying to survive the election season, trying to move through the pace of this world and the darkness that ever binds me. We say, God, the Holy Spirit power from heaven, the Shekinah glory of God, dwells in this little earthly vessel. And if I could just tap into who Jesus is, what He's done for me, and what He wants to do in this world, I could look to people like that testimony and say, God, help me be a light to people who have screwed up, messed up lives because sin has stole their joy, their peace, their happiness, their families are falling apart. You and I have the answer tonight. We would be faithful, filled followers. Peter that day was transformed into a preacher, miracle-working apostle of Christ. Little old fisherman, little old blue-collar worker, little education, little bit went to church his younger years, made a lot of mistakes, cussed like a sailor, and now he's a mighty man of God. Only God can do that. He was willing to be arrested, imprisoned, even martyred for Christ. Why? Was it so millions of people could be saved across the centuries as we sit here in 2016 and talk about Peter tonight? You know, it really wasn't. It's not, it wasn't about Peter leaving a legacy and saving a bunch of people. Well, he did do that. Why did he do it? Because he loved Jesus. It wasn't about saving a million souls or a thousand souls on that day. It was a response to the love of God, to a Savior who said, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. I saw you die on that cross. I got blood on my shirt, you know, when we were taking you to the tomb. I don't know. You just, he, he, just to know, this guy died for me. And he said, my life is yours. And whatever I do, I'm all in. God, I want to I do. And so when he reaches people for the lost, wasn't about reaching people for the lost. It was about loving Jesus more. I want us to get to a place in our life where we love Jesus so much we can't help but reach people for the lost. Reach the lost for Christ. Think about Peter. And I'll close with this. 
It's a legend that tells us, we don't know this to be factual, it's not in Scripture, but the story goes that Peter's final moments that he had been in Rome preaching the gospel and arrested for some short time and had left going out of the road to continue the gospel. And Jesus Christ passes him going back the other way. Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to be crucified again. So Peter stops what he's doing, goes back to Rome, and is crucified upside down that in the late 70s or 60s A.D. because he loved Jesus. Lord, I'll go wherever you want to go. Say what you want to say. Do what you want to do, God, because I love you. I want us to pray tonight about being a faithful, filled follower. I want us to get to a place where you say, God, I want to love you more or I can just follow you. Uh, let's just take a moment. But I'm, I'm going to pray over you. And I want to just take a moment. And just Let's just see where the Lord leads us to go tonight. And I'll allow the Holy Spirit just to take control.